start a new book today, a new book of the Bible. We are going to be looking at 2 Timothy. And uh, we're going to do an overview, we're going to do an introduction. So we won't do a verse-by-verse study today. But before we move any further, let me pray. I'm going to pray for our service, and I also want to pray for the situation with Israel. As many of you may know, they've declared war um, against Hamas. I mean, really, Hamas came in with a surprise attack, and now there's uh, just full-scale war going on there. And, uh, man, what is, what is going to come of all of this? Who knows? But uh, this is wild. It's heavy. And we just want to pray, pray for Israel. And uh, so would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we, we love you. We're so grateful that we, we can take courage in the fact that you're in control of all things. You always have been. You always will be. Everything that happens on the world stage, it doesn't escape you. You are intimately involved in all of it. And you are moving history forward in accordance with your own perfect will. You're moving it forward in accordance with your own plan of redemption. And uh, we recognize, God, that uh, none of this escapes you and you're not surprised by any of it. None of it is outside of your reach. And so, Lord, we don't really know what will come of all of this. We don't know, Lord, how you intend to use it. But we trust you, Father, and we just pray, God. We pray for all the casualties, the lives lost, the lives that will be lost, Father. Uh, we just pray, God, that you would intervene, that you would show great mercy. Pray that you would strengthen Israel, bolster them, Lord, that they would be able to defend themselves and win the victory. As this has taken place 50 years uh, on the anniversary after Yom Kippur, the Yom Kippur War, uh, very significant indeed. And so, um, Father, we just ask, God, that you would use this, God, for your own glory, for the furtherance of the gospel, for the advancement of your kingdom. And uh, we thank you, God, that uh, we can come to you with these concerns and cares. And we ask, Father, that you would encourage and minister to the saints all around the world that are gathering to honor your name and to bless you. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering for the testimony of Christ, even now, that you would uh, bear them up, that you would give them comfort, that you would give them grace and peace, steadfastness. And Father, we, uh, I pray for everyone in here today that have come to hear from you, that the word would be open to us all and that we would receive from you that we would be built up in the most holy faith, that we would be strengthened, that we would be encouraged and edified, that above all, Father, you would be exalted. For you are worthy. You're worthy of so much more than we could ever give you, God. But thank you that you receive our offering and you receive it with joy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. Well, before we even get into the message, we're going to do, I'm going to show a video up on the screen. This is uh, something I rarely do. I've only done it once before, um, but it's a pastor named Francis Chan, and this is like 15 years old, but it's this illustration that has impacted me deeply, and I just, I, well, I'm certainly not going to imitate it, and I don't think I could uh, communicate it better than this. So a couple minutes here, let's just watch this together off the team, whatever, you know, just there's so much instability, so much that we don't understand, that, that we don't know. For me, growing up, it was, a, a lot of you guys know, my mom died giving birth to me, and my dad remarried, then my stepmom died in a car accident when I was nine, then my dad got married again, then my dad died of cancer when I was 12, and so I'm in junior high, my mom's dead, my stepmom's dead, my dad's dead. The only close relatives I had were my, my aunt and uncle, George and Sandra. And then when I was in high school, they got in a fight, and my uncle George shot and killed my aunt, and then stuck the gun to his own head, killed himself. So I'm 16 years old, and this is life to me, going, man, what's next? Everything seems to be falling apart, and we get a little worried, we get a little scared. And this is what Christians do, you know, they try to serve God, but then things get a little rocky. And things get a little unstable. And so we go, okay, that was nuts. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Let me, uh, 
let me hold on. And this is your routine. This is what so many people do. They go, you know what? I'm not going to try anything crazy. I'm just going to sit here and uh, I'm just going to hold on. And uh, this is what you look like. You just go, uh, this is what people do. You know what? I'm just going to have my nice little family. We're just going to, um, you know, we're just going to keep to ourselves. We're going to live in a gated community. I'm going to homeschool my kids, make them wear helmets everywhere. I'm going to, um, you know, I'm not going to let them outside because sun has bad rays. I'm going to, um, you know, just on and on and on. And you just live your life in the safety of, I don't want to do anything crazy for God. I just, I just want to, you know, go to church on Sundays and maybe give like 2% um, and uh, maybe serve, help the nursery because I feel guilty. And then you do this your whole life. And then you, you go, your greatest prayer is like, God, you know what? I would love to die in my sleep and not even feel it and then just go up to heaven. And so th you want to die like this. Just in your sleep, ooh, right in the middle of a dream, good dream, the dream you're going to heaven and you don't even feel it. And then suddenly you wake up, you stand before the judge and you go. <laughs> now, if, uh, could you imagine, could you imagine watching the Olympics, you know? And some girl does that, just gets up there, starts straddling the thing, and then steps off and goes. <laughs> what is the judge supposed to do on the card? You see, and to me, I go, man, that's the routine that so many Christians are headed for. That's the routine, the boring, I do nothing crazy because I don't want to fall. I, I, that's the routine that they're going to live, and then one day it's going to be a shock because they're going to step off that balance beam and realize they're standing before the judge. They're standing before the judge, and you think he's going to look at that routine and go, wow, well done. Well done. You lived the safest life possible. You didn't slip. You didn't fall. See, that's not the life that God's called us to. That's where the majority will head. But I don't want to go where the majority goes. That's a great illustration. That really stuck with me for a long time. And I think it captures it so well. It's true. Uh, maybe, maybe we do take a risk. Maybe we do step out. A lot of times that's a big, big move for us because, you know, we're afraid to get outside of our comfort zone. We get outside of our comfort zone and then it goes sideways, and we say, you know what, okay, I knew it. I knew better. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not going to, I'm going to back off. I'm just going to take a step back. And that's, uh, that's really kind of the issue in Timothy. You know, I've heard it said, this is a quote from Mike Tyson. Someone came to him, and he had a fight coming up, and they're like, are you concerned? They began to lay out before him this person's techniques and probably their strategy and how this thing could go. And his response was, everybody has a plan until I punch them in the mouth. <laughs> and that's the way that it is in life. We've got a plan. We're ready. We're excited. We're going for it. And then we get punched in the mouth. And then we get stunned. And then we get nervous. And then maybe we want to just slow it down a bit or back off. And we cannot do that. We may start out strong, but sooner or later we are tempted to back off. It's a temptation that we all face. It is a temptation that we all face. Um, I would say this is one of the enemy's biggest tactics towards us. Uh, I, I believe firmly, solidly that our salvation is secure in Christ. Amen? It is secure in Jesus Christ, and we can't lose it. But you know what? The enemy would love to tempt us to sideline ourselves, as it were. He wants to take us out of the game. He wants to render us ineffective. And that can happen in many ways. That can happen through discouragement and disillusionment. Things don't go maybe the way that we were hoping that they would go. And we get discouraged by that. Or we even get to the point of disillusionment. We're just bewildered by how things have happened up to this point. We can't make sense of it all. So what do we do? We just back out. 
We just put on the brakes. Sometimes we are tempted to sideline ourselves just because of difficulty. Things are hard. Life is hard. The Christian walk is hard. Spiritual warfare is hard. Things get tough. Things get difficult. And we think, you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I can't take this. I can't keep going on like this. And we back off. Sometimes it happens through sin. Through sin. We give in to sin of various kinds, and it takes us out of the game. It makes us ineffective. It devastates our walk with the Lord. It causes us to want to isolate and separate from brothers and sisters in the faith. And at one point in time, we were so excited. We were on fire to serve the Lord. And then all of a sudden, what happened? We allowed sin to come in and absolutely devastate that. Sometimes we are tempted to sideline ourselves because of distraction. And this is a, a very frequent one. We just get caught up with other things. Work, uh, trying to make it, uh, family, hobbies, recreation, you name it. There are all kinds of things. They may be good things, but they're not the best things. And they cause us to pump the brakes and to not live radically for God and not to serve God uh, with a heart of, of fire. There's also fear. Fear is another one. This is a huge one. And this, I think, speaks a little bit more to what we're going to be looking at in the letter of 2 Timothy. We allow fear to keep us from pressing forward. We allow fear to keep us from serving God as we ought to. We're just afraid. We're scared. Scared of discomfort, scared of failure, scared of looking stupid, scared of extra commitment. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can be afraid of that cause us to back off. And then I would say apathy, just not really caring. You could just take it or leave it. I'm happy, content to do the bare minimum. And uh, that, I've, I've heard, there's a word for that here in Napa called napathy. That it's just an issue, you know. It's an issue in the churches in Napa that people are just content to do nothing. Content to do nothing. These are all bad. This is all bad. And I would say, and we're going to unfold this as we go, that's really what is driving this letter. Timothy, the recipient of this letter, is tempted to back off. It's hard. It's been a hard road of ministry for him. And Paul is afraid that Timothy is sidelining himself, that he is cooling his engine, he's pumping the brakes, that he's getting distracted, that he's not going full speed ahead like he once was. And Paul wants to encourage him. And so really, I guess you could summarize the book, this book with the phrase, you must continue. You must continue. I've heard it summarized with just one word, come, enter in. Timothy was tempted to back off, and Paul said, join me, come, continue, don't back off. And so we'll, we'll unfold this today as we look at this book together. Um, this is, as I said, it's an introductory message, so we'll look at a number of verses uh, we're not going to take one particular passage and unpack it in depth, but we are going to look at several verses and passages from 2 Timothy, just so I can show you really that is the theme that runs throughout this book. And how practical is that for us? How relevant is that for all of us? Who in here is not tempted at times to just back off, whether it's um, even exhaustion? We just get tired. I mean, there's so many things, so many reasons why we might start well and not finish well. And Paul wanted to make sure that that wasn't going to happen to his beloved Timothy. So let's look together at just the first two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's standard greeting. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace and mercy and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, 
Paul, the Apostle Paul, is the author of this letter. He says as much right here in the introductory statements. This is Paul, the Apostle of Christ Jesus. And he is writing to Timothy, his beloved child. That's significant. We believe that Paul led Timothy to the Lord, and so he refers to him with such fond affection. Timothy, my child. So who is Timothy? Well, I have to say, Timothy is probably one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. There's a lot. We know a lot about him. Uh, certain, certain people in the Bible, they may be mentioned one time. There may be actually nothing but their name in there. We would know nothing about them that they ever even existed if not for that. But not so with Timothy. There's so much material. And I just really, uh, Timothy, I just resonate with his his character, his ministry. There's just so many things about him that I admire and I can appreciate and I can relate with. And we'll take a look at that. So our first introduction to Timothy is in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, specifically in verses 1 through 5. Now, before we go there, back in Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14. Now, Paul he was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He was a Pharisee. He was a persecutor of the church. Most of us in here probably are familiar with this. Christ, uh, he saw Christ on the road to Emmaus, and he was struck down blind, blinded by the, the brilliant light that shone forth. And he came to saving faith. And Christ commissioned him, and he became this mighty apostle. The word apostle means sent one. He was a messenger of Christ, chosen and sent by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And in the book of Acts, Acts covers about 30 years of history, from the ascension of Christ to 30 years into the early church. We meet Paul, and Paul goes out in three missionary journeys, and he plants several churches in Asia Minor, over into Europe, and those are all recorded for us in the book of Acts. Well, the first missionary journey begins in Acts chapter 14. And so, let me read this to us in verse 19. It says, um, now, just before I even read this, another little backdrop. Paul and Barnabas go into this area and they heal a man, and the people there think that it's Zeus and Hermes. That's what they think. There was some Greek uh, mythology that said that Zeus and Hermes had visited before they had come down to visit man, and they did not receive a warm reception, and so the whole city was judged on account of it and destroyed. So, they're thinking, they see this miracle, they see Paul and Barnabas, and they think it's Zeus and Hermes, they've come back. And so now they want to worship them, and they start to sacrifice to them, and they're like, don't do that, don't do that. And then Paul shares the gospel with them, talks about Christ. So that's their initial reception when they come in, and they heal this man, and they preach the gospel. But then in verse 19 of chapter 14, it says, that the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So that was Paul's first missionary journey right there. And it didn't go so well for him. It started out, I mean, it started out pretty crazy, and then they literally they stoned him thinking that he's dead, and some people think that he did die. We won't get into that, but um, that was where it started. Now, a few years later, that kind of cuts the journey short. He goes back to Antioch, where he first launched out from, and he decides, let's go back out again. And so they do. 
he goes back out with Barnabas. And that brings us to Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, Paul also, uh, came also to Derby and to Lystra. And there was a, dis a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Now, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them, uh, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem, and the churches were strengthened in faith. And they increased in numbers daily. So I got a map. Uh, let's, let's take a look at this map. This is Paul's first missionary journey. Now, if you look in your, in your Bibles, you probably all have maps in the back of your Bibles. You definitely want to get to know your maps. They really help. They really bring these things to light. And if you're looking at the missionary journeys, usually there's going to be three. And so there's going to be three different paths, and they're going to be different colors. Uh, and you will see in the second and third journey that he started off here in Antioch and came over here and went all throughout this area over into here, down into here, and back over. The second journeys, the second and the third, were far more extensive. They were a lot further reaching, and that is because, well, as we know, he made it here, and then he got almost beat to death. If he wasn't beat to death, God brought him back to life. And so this was his first journey, and it was just a short one relative to the rest of his missionary journeys. So at this point, so here's Jerusalem, here's Israel. Up here in Antioch, this was kind of like the headquarters, if you will. And this was almost like a missionary base for the church at this point. And so they sent Paul and Barnabas out to go out and start trying to reach these folks and plant churches throughout Asia and over into Europe. And so they, they, uh, they went out, and they came over here. Now, this is Galatia. This is the area of Galatia. This is Lystra, Iconium, and Derbe. These are the three places that we just read about in Acts 16, verses 1 through 5. Um, Timothy was a Galatian. So if you're familiar with your New Testament, you know there is a letter written to the churches in Galatia. Timothy was a Galatian. Well... Nothing is said to us about Timothy when Paul comes through here the first time, but we, we assume, we suspect, and I think with great merit, Timothy was there. He was very young. The first time that Timothy, the first time that Paul came through this area, Timothy may have been 14, 15, 16 years old. And it would appear that Timothy came to faith in Christ at that point. So Paul went back, he came back to Antioch. And then, as I said, a few years later, he sets back out and he comes right back through this same area before he launches out further over into Asia. Now, this is modern-day Turkey, uh, and just to kind of put it in perspective. So, Paul comes back a few years later, and now we meet Timothy. And it would appear that Timothy has had a few years to grow in his faith, to grow in his walk with the Lord. He has a great reputation the brothers spoke very highly of him, we're told, and Paul says, I want to take this guy with me on my missionary journey. And so that's what they do. They set out from there. Now, um, what I would say about this is that Timothy knew what he was getting himself into. Timothy knew full well what he was getting himself into. Now, in the first missionary journey, they take with them uh, Mark familiar with him? Barnabas and uh, Paul take John Mark with them, and he, he, he leaves shortly into the trip. He doesn't even make it through the first missionary journey. I would say he probably didn't know what he was getting himself into. Uh, he got on the missionary journey and saw the difficulties that they were experiencing, and he thought, you know what, uh, this ain't for me. And he backed out, and he went back home. Well, not so for Timothy. Timothy was a young man, and he had probably seen firsthand what happened to Paul the first time that Paul came through his town, and he believed. He trusted Christ. He, was, he grew as a disciple, had a great reputation, and then he followed. Now, that's just that's commitment, and we're told he was circumcised because he was 
Jewish and Greek, and because they were going to be uh, really trying to reach a lot of the Jewish communities wherever they went. This was something that Paul felt was necessary so it wouldn't be a stumbling block. Now, how anybody would even know that about Timothy, that's a whole other thing. I'm not going to go there, okay? I'm a, I'm a preacher and get into all that. But uh, Timothy was a committed guy. He was willing to do whatever. He knew the dangers that awaited him, and he made some serious commitments to launch out and to serve Christ. And that, to me, is extremely commendable. I appreciate that. As a very young man, very young man, probably in his late teens, early 20s at this point. Well, Paul gives a glowing commendation of Timothy in the book of Philippians. I mean, what he has to say about Timothy in Philippians is, I just don't know that you could get a better compliment than what Paul says about him. So in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19... It says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So that's what Paul had to say about Timothy. He said, I'm sending Timothy to you because I, don't, I have no confidence that anybody else will care for you like Timothy will. He had that kind of confidence in Timothy. It was like Paul was sending himself when he sent Timothy, his son, in the faith. He said, everybody else seeks their own. They're not concerned about the things of Christ, but he is. And he will sincerely care for your state. And he's been tested and proven. He says, you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. So that's, that's what Paul, the apostle, has to say about Timothy. And I have always loved that. Now, that is something to aspire to. If someone can say that about me, if someone can say that about you, man, we are really doing something in the kingdom. We are doing something for the Lord. Amen? Now, I, I say all of this, I start by highlighting the strengths of Timothy and the things that I think are so commendable because that helps us to appreciate a very different side of Timothy that is very relevant to our study. Timothy was not a man without struggles. He was not a man without struggles. He was a man that was willing to pay a price. He was willing to commit himself to the service of the Lord he was a man of great reputation amongst the brothers and sisters in his own hometown and, of course, with the Apostle Paul. But he was also a man with great struggle. And if you know anything about Timothy, you probably already know what I'm going to say. He was, he was considered to be a man who struggled with fear. He was a fearful man, a fearful man. And we can just kind of pick this up as we look at a number of verses and kind of piece them together. It helps us to kind of get this picture of Timothy. Now, Paul wanted to send Timothy to the Philippian church, but he also wanted to send them to the Corinthian church. And in the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says this. He says, And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear. For he does the work of the Lord, as I do also. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. So the Corinthians, they were kind of hardcore. That was a messed up church. And there was a lot of factions and sectarianism in there. There was just a lot of different things going on. And Timothy is a timid guy. And Paul says, Timothy is going to be coming through there. Do not give him a hard time. Make sure that he is able to dwell amongst you without fear. Make sure that he is able to be at peace when he is there among you. Let no one despise him. And that's a word that comes up more than once with Paul regarding Timothy, this idea of despising. And really the idea of despise here is to disregard to think very little of, to give no weight to, to give no consideration to. He's like, look, this is a man of God. I'm sending him there to you. Make sure that you don't disregard him, don't despise him, don't scare him, 
Don't give him such a hard time that he's not able to serve you well while he is there. And so we begin to kind of get this idea of maybe what Timothy is like. You know, he's a young guy. This leads us into the next thing in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Again, we see the same word for despise. It says, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So Paul says, look, don't let people disregard you, Timothy, Pastor Timothy. Don't let people look down on you. Don't let people think less of you because of your age. Now what's amazing about that is he's probably in his 40s at this point. So quite a bit of time has passed. Timothy's older, he's more mature, and still Paul is having to tell him, look, don't, don't worry about your age, don't be insecure about your age, you set the example, let your conduct speak for itself. Now in that culture, and in many cultures around the world today, age means everything, age means everything. Here, I think a lot of times, people, people tend to like the younger people and they like the educated people. There are other things that people look at and think, oh, that's, that's good, that's legit. There's other things that they respect. But in other cultures, it doesn't matter how educated you are. It doesn't matter what you have. If you don't have experience, if you don't have age, you've got nothing to say to anybody. That's the way it is. And so Timothy, even though we might not count 40 as all that young, um, let me just stop there before I get myself in trouble. Um, Paul's like, look, don't let them pick on you because of your age. You know what? You set the example. You set the standard by your godly conduct and character. So we get this sense here that Timothy was fearful. He was timid. He was looked down upon. He was kind of considered, you know, who are you? You're young. What do you have to tell me? And then you move over into 2 Timothy Chapter 1, we'll be looking at this next week. Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so, again, you look at that and he says, Timothy, look, there's no need to be fearful. God has not given us a spirit of fear. We are to be bold. We are to be courageous. God has given us a spirit of power and love and self-control, a sound mind, and you need to lean into that. Do not succumb to your fearful tendencies. And this is a little bit of a stretch, but even in 1 Timothy 5, 23, Paul says to Timothy, this is very interesting, he says, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. So Paul seems to be telling Timothy to mix wine with his water uh, to help his stomach issues. So it's thought that Timothy was such a worrier, that he was such a timid and fearful guy that it even had consequences on his health. And Paul had to basically give him a prescription, medica um, how to medicate that. Now, he didn't heal him. Uh, he actually told him, essentially, take medicine. But again, we put all this together, and we can kind of surmise from this that Timothy, though he was, he was a man of courage, a man of commitment, uh, he was also a man who struggled with fear. And, and I'm not beating up on this guy. I, I couldn't do what Timothy did. I mean, he's a, that's a man of God if there ever was one. Apart from the grace of God, I couldn't do what Timothy did. And so I can't stand here and be like, oh, Timothy was, you know, this, that, and the other, but I think it's helpful for us to recognize that you see these two very different sides of Timothy, and that's what I appreciate about Timothy. He's like us in so many ways. There are strengths, there are weaknesses, and he was a man that God used greatly. Amen? And we are all, we are men, we are women in here who have strengths, and we have weaknesses. And God would call us to press forward to serve Him, and He will use us too. He will use us too. Amen? Amen? See, Timothy did not let that stop him ultimately. Timothy did not let, him, let that take him out of the game. So with that, 
let's kind of transition here in the message to kind of the next section. And now I want to look a little more specifically at the context of the letter that we're studying. So we've kind of considered um, Timothy, who he is, what we know about him. But now let's get into the specifics of the letter of 2 Timothy here. So we know that the book of Acts ends with Paul in Roman imprisonment. It's kind of like a house arrest, and he's there for a few years. And we don't really know exactly what happened with Paul after that. We believe that he was released from his imprisonment and that he went on a fourth missionary journey, the details of which aren't really in the New, in the New Testament. We know that he wanted to go to Spain. I think he talked about that in the letter to the Romans. Um, and maybe he did go there, but um, he was uh, later rearrested, and we'll talk about that. But after he got out of that Roman imprisonment, that house arrest, and he went visiting the churches again, he took Timothy with him, he went back to Ephesus, to the city of Ephesus, and then he left Timothy there. So Timothy became the pastor of the Ephesian church, and we believe that Timothy pastored that church for the rest of his life. And we, we see this in 1 Timothy so Paul writes a letter to Timothy while on his missionary journey, his fourth missionary journey, to encourage Timothy after he left him in Ephesus to pastor the church. This is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He says, As I urged you when I was going into Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons that they uh, not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. So Paul says, I left you in Ephesus to set things in order. I left you in Ephesus to see to it that people aren't in the church teaching things that are contrary to sound doctrine and contrary to the gospel. Now, Paul spent more time in Ephesus than anywhere else Elders have been established and set in place. Timothy comes into this well-established church and is commissioned to make sure that people aren't teaching false doctrine. That's intimidating. That would be difficult for anybody. And so you can see that this would be scary for Timothy. This is a tall order for Timothy to fulfill. But that's what he was commissioned to do. Later on in the letter, in chapter 3, verse 14, Paul gives really the statement, the 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 thematic statement of the book. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So that's 1 Timothy, and that's why Paul wrote it. He put Timothy there in that church, commissioned him, and then he gave him some instructions. Some instructions on how to carry himself as a pastor there in the church and what to expect of the members of the church there in Ephesus. And so that's, that's what we have in the letter of 1 Timothy. That's the context that surrounds that. Now, about five to six years later, five to six years later, Paul is now writing his final letter, his final letter to his son in the faith. And this would be about 66, 67 A.D. Um, so this would be approximately 30 years after Christ. Approximately 30 years after Christ ascended, died, rose again, ascended into to heaven, the church was planted, and Paul began to go around and plant all these missionary, all, on his missionary journey, plant all these other churches. And so this is about five or six years after 1 Timothy. This time, Paul is incarcerated again. Paul is writing from a Roman imprisonment, and this time it is not a house arrest. This is serious business. He's in a dungeon, and he knows that this is it for him. Persecution has really begun to sweep the empire, and um, Nero is persecuting the Christians fiercely, Caesar Nero. And so we believe that Paul was uh, re-arrested, this time under the, the Nero persecution, and he knew this was it for him. And so in 2 Timothy... Chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, 
and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so this was the last letter that we're getting ready to study. It's the last letter written by the Apostle Paul that we have. And it was written to his son in the faith, Timothy. And it would appear that Paul was concerned for Timothy, that Paul was concerned that Timothy would not endure in ministry, that Timothy would not persevere, that he would back off, that he would not continue. Now, given Timothy's situation, he's in a difficult place. He has a very difficult task. Given Timothy's struggles, he's a man who struggles with fear, struggles with timidity, struggles with insecurity. And even given Paul's situation, Paul is about to die. It's getting bad out here. It is not looking good for Christians. They are suffering horribly. You put all that together, and Paul, this great man of God, this dear pastor, has great concern for Timothy, that Timothy is tempted to slow down, to back down from the difficulties and the work of the Lord. And so he writes this letter, 2 Timothy, to encourage Timothy, stay the course, continue on, don't hold back, don't put on the brakes, come, enter in, follow me. And that is an encouragement to us all, amen? So with that, we're just going to look at the theme of 2 Timothy. We're just going to look at some verses together, and then we'll kind of close the message at that point. But I just want to show us some key verses throughout the book here that I think really drives this point home well for us. And I trust that we will be edified as we look at these verses. So why don't you turn with me in your Bibles? You're probably already at 2 Timothy. Look at verse 6. We're just going to kind of walk through this together. Verse 6 in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of sound mind. There's our first indicator right there. Paul says, stir up the gift. Stir up the gift. Now, Timothy was a gifted man. Timothy had received some gifts. Now, that's a supernatural work of God's providence, period. Every believer in Jesus Christ has spiritual gifts that are given to them by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the body of Christ. But here, Paul said, I laid hands on you, and you received some very, some very particular set of gifts. And he says, now you need to stir that up. It sounds like what has happened here is that Timothy maybe wasn't serving like he once was. And maybe his giftings, if you will, had begun to stagnate. And Paul says, do not do that. Get in the game. Use your gifts. Sharpen your gifts. Hone your gifts. Fine-tune your gifts. Become, become like a, uh, you know, a, a militant special agent with your gifts. And that's an encouragement for all of us. Are we using the gifts that God have, has given us for His glory? Have you backed off from using your gifts? Do you even know what your gifts are? Well, Timothy, it would seem, was in the real danger of letting his gifts just fall by the wayside and go unused for God's glory and for the good of the church. And Paul said, don't do that. Do not do that. Look at verse 8. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And so, Timothy, it would seem, could even possibly be ashamed embarrassed by Paul, and Paul says, Timothy, please, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed by my chains or by the testimony of 
the Lord, but rather join me, share with me in the sufferings. He calls him to share with him in the sufferings for his testimony. And he says to do it for the gospel. And I just want to write here, that is the driving force, folks. It's the gospel. This is not something that we just do, I mean, fill in the blank, whatever reason you want to give. It's for the sake of the gospel. God is in the world saving sinners. God is in the world saving sinners. Of such were you and I. But for the grace of God, we were called out of the darkness and brought into the light, God's glorious light. God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, God gave His Son to save a bunch of miserable wretches like me and you. Amen? He pulled us up out of that pit, that horrible pit, that miry pit that was our life before Christ. God did that. God did it in love, in love for me and in love for you. God, so kind, so good, did for us what we could not do for ourselves, did for us what we could never, never deserve in an eternity of eternities. God gave His Son to live the life that we failed to live. We have failed to live so many times over. Even today, we have failed already. God gave His Son to live the life that none of us could live, and then to die and suffer the, the just penalty that we deserve, our penalty, the punishment that we deserve, the chastisement that we deserve for our transgression against a holy God. Jesus suffered that consequence. Jesus paid our debt there on the cross, suffering God's wrath in our place. And then he rose again from the grave, vindicated, righteous, the holy Son of God, perfectly blameless and pure, rose again from the grave, conquering death, conquering sin for us, for us, so that if we believe in Jesus Christ, call upon his name, we will be forgiven, saved, <clears throat> set free, changed, made brand new, kept used for God's glory, <clears throat> and one day we will stand before God in glory. That is the good news of the gospel. And it's the power of the gospel that compels us to suffer well for Christ. And it was that that Paul appealed to when he called Timothy to join him. He said, I know things are looking bleak. I know that you struggle. But do not be ashamed. Share with me in the sufferings for the gospel. It's worth it. It's worth it. Amen. The gospel is worth it. Believing in Jesus and sharing Jesus, being used by God for the furtherance of the gospel is worth it. No matter what we may suffer in this life, it's worth it. And so Paul says, Timothy, don't back off. Stir up the gift that is in you. Do not be ashamed. Share with me in my sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. And I hope that you know that. I hope that you've trusted Christ. I hope that the gospel is your gospel. I hope that you have believed Jesus Christ savingly. I hope that you are a new creation. I hope that you have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. I hope that you have God as your Father I hope that you have Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. You can. You can even now. All you have to do is believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for your sin and rose again from the grave and that you need that forgiveness, that you are who God says you are, that you really have sinned against God and that you really are deserving of judgment and damnation, but believing that God is so good and kind and loving he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He gave His Son. You believe that. Believe it. Trust it. Cling to it. Forsake and abandon your own good works. Do not trust in yourself to be a good enough person. You are not. You are not and I am not. And it was to that end that Paul appealed to Timothy. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. So Paul says, this is not easy. It is not a game. It is a battle. It is a war. And you are a soldier. And you do not have in and of yourself what it takes to fight well. You must rely upon the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You must be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus so that you can share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ and please your enlisting officer. Amen? Amen. And then he uses the illustrations of an athlete and a farmer. And what I can say about that is being an athlete is difficult. It's hard. It takes serious dedication, determination. It takes very hard work. It takes a lot of sacrifice, a lot of sacrifice. And Paul uses that language, the language of an athlete. And then a hard-working farmer. Again, the same could be said. It is hard work. It is toil. It is back-breaking labor for long periods of time, enduring the elements, the heat and the cold. It's an act of faith, trusting that God will bring the rains and that He will bring the harvest. And so you have to have this mindset, Timothy. You're a soldier. You're an athlete. You're a farmer. We have to have that kind of a mindset. Amen? Amen. We have to have the mindset that we are committed, that we are dedicated, that we are running to win a race, that we are plowing for a harvest that we are soldiers fighting in a battle, and we are here to please our enlisting officer, Jesus. Look at verse 12, verse 12 of chapter 2. He says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Look at this, verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Paul says, look, I'm not ashamed of Christ. And I know what I have committed to him and I know that he is faithful and I know he's able to keep it until that day. But my question to you, Timothy, is will you be faithful Timothy, will you be faithful with what has been entrusted to you? Verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. Verse 14, that good thing which was committed to you, keep it, steward it. And so it's a call to Timothy to be faithful with what he has received. Preserve it, protect it, live by it, teach it, share it. That is the call. Timothy, will you be faithful? Or are you going to back off? You're going to get distracted. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get disillusioned. You're going to get taken out of the game because of sin. You're going to be apathetic. Are you going to be full of fear? Or are you going to press in? Are you going to continue on? Are you going to serve with passion? And are you going to be faithful with the things that have been entrusted to your care? Look at verse 22, chapter 2. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. So he says, watch out for your own godliness, Timothy. Do not succumb to the lust of the flesh and youthful passions. Flee that at all costs. Flee that. Flee youthful passions. And instead, with all that you have, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And then he says, do not be distracted either. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies, things that do not profit. Timothy, guard your heart. Timothy, guard your character. Timothy, do not be distracted by stupid things that profit nobody. 
Stay the course, press on, continue. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Look at verse 10. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. So he's pointing all the way back to when Timothy first met Paul, most likely, and saw the persecutions that he suffered. He says, The persecutions I endured... Yet from them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look at this, verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. And from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, look, it's bad and it's only going to get worse. It is bad and it is only going to get worse. It is going to be so bad around you in this world. He says, but look, Timothy, you followed me. You followed my teaching You've imitated my conduct and my aim and life, my faith, patience, and steadfastness, and you must continue. You must continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Have I convinced you? Have I convinced you that that is what Paul is calling Timothy to? And let me just say, it's not just for Timothy. It is not just for Timothy, folks. It is for us. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us through His Word and saying that we must continue. We know what to do. We just need to keep doing it. And we need to do it with more ferocity than ever. Don't back off. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Stay steadfast. Stir up the gift of God that is in you. Be faithful with what has been entrusted to you. Guard your hearts and your minds and do not be distracted. Cling to what you have received and continue on. Amen? Amen. Continue on. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for the book of 2 Timothy, and I'm eager and excited to walk through it verse by verse. I trust and believe, God, that you have met us here today and have spoken to us through your, your holy word. And I thank you for that. What a gift of grace, God. We honor you, Father. You're worthy. You're worthy of praise. We bless your holy name. I pray for all of us here, Lord, that we, we have need of perseverance. Or we have need of steadfastness. We have need of a renewed vigor and commitment. Lord, take us to a place we've never been before. Take us deeper into our walk with you, our commitment to the kingdom and the gospel, our service and our obedience, our worship. Lord, may we not back off, but may we join with Timothy in this invitation and enter in. May we endure. May we persevere. May we continue on. We must, Father. We must. Thank you that we have what we need to do that. Thank you that we can be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I appeal to that very grace now. We've been told from the Word of God that we can enter into your throne room of grace to find Grace to help in the time of need. Thank you that you are a God of abundant grace, favor, kindness, blessing. I pray that you would pour your grace out upon us in abundance, Lord, that we would have all that we need to know you and to make you known, God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.